0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to a free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us today. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst, By turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find,
1: and to share. Good morning. Our call to worship is by Diego Valeri. You, who have an eye for miracles, regard the bud now appearing on the bare branch of the fragile young tree. It's a mere dot, a nothing. But already it's a flower, already a fruit, already its own death and resurrection. Sometimes people wonder
0: since we have folks in this room with beliefs and practices and roots from all the major world religions, and including secular humanism, atheism, and neo-paganism, what is it that's at the center and what holds us together? One of the things at the center for this congregation is its mission. We wrote it on the wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives.
1: And do justice. Our meditation reading is by E.E. Cummings. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today. This is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay, great, happening, illimitably, earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt unimaginable you? Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened.
0: This is the time in our service where we get quiet together, where we breathe deeply together, where we notice our thoughts making lists and making stories and worries, and we just notice our thoughts and gently bring our attention back to our breath. It is in this way that we visit the still place where we can learn clarity, compassion, courage. Let us now enter the wise silence together, understanding that tiny child noises and noises of life are part of silence in this congregation. I know you guys have been watching the people in Brussels leaving bouquets of flowers in the town square. It's an answer to hatred and death, a declaration that life continues, that there's beauty still in the face of death. And I... I wanted to talk about why flowers are such a perfect answer in the conversation with death. For people to leave on town square in memory of folks who were hurt and killed. I started thinking about the power and the bravery of flowers. Uh many years ago, when I was having a conversation with a Christian friend about how Unitarian Universalists might celebrate Easter. And they um, were having a failure of imagination, and they <laughs> they said, um, so if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, then what do you celebrate on Easter, like Pretty Yellow Flower Day? And um, I felt shamed by that for a minute. I, um, I felt like they were saying, okay, if, if you celebrate resurrection as a metaphor, then you are somehow less real or less grounded theologically than we who celebrate it as an actual historical fact. And, and it's stuck in my craw. Wherever your craw is, and um, and I started thinking about all of the dying and rising gods that are in so many religions throughout history. And I'm not saying Jesus is just another dying and rising god. I know um, he's precious to many people uh, and very real. And yet, uh, the dying and rising motion is one of the most important motions on this planet that we notice as humans. And I think we celebrate when we think about um, resurrection as a metaphor, we celebrate the actual dying and rising of the plants that we love and of the of the things that bring us food that we get to sustain ourselves and our children and um, that all the animals sustain themselves and their children with. And... It's a it's a tremendous uh, mystery and miracle how the corn and the wheat and the seeds and the apples fall to the ground and lie under the ground for a while and then sprout with new life and bring new food. And I think that is a miracle. And so which is imitating which? And... I want to talk about dying and rising. Living things, all living things, are full of the life force. And the life force says, make more life. Spread your genetic material. Uh, Multiply your DNA. And flowers and plants have done that by being beautiful, some of them. And they're not just beautiful for us humans. They started being beautiful 130 million years ago, way before we were here. Because the more beautiful a flower was, the more successful it was as a species because it could could attract the bees and the bats and the butterflies. Uh, The dragonflies go down the list if you're a botanist or whatever kind of scientist studies dragonflies. And... um, you, you can tell that, that they evolved to attract pollinators. And apparently what attracts pollinators also attracts human beings because we like things with symmetry and things with beautiful colors and things with scent. And so the flowers, to be successful, evolve in a way that attracts us too. And I think we're hardwired on an evolutionary level to notice flowers because back in our hunter-gatherer days, if the gatherers saw flowers in a certain place, they understood that that meant that in another uh, few weeks there would be food in that place, probably. There would be tubers or fruits of some kind. So you go back to that place as you're wandering and gathering because the flower said, come back in a few weeks and we'll have something to eat. And so there's a wonderful movie called The Botany of Desire where the whole theory is turned around and that maybe we're not the ones in charge of this whole process, but maybe it's the plants that are getting us to do their... Bidding in that if they are successful at being sweet or being beautiful, not sweet tempered but sweet to eat or beautiful, then we, the mammals, are more likely to um, gather them and propagate them and Take them to our house and give them to our neighbors and they get to travel. Or if they're sweet, they get to be eaten. And then, you know, a couple of hillsides later, they get their seeds planted by the bear who ate the apple and they get to travel that way, see new parts of the world because they attracted mammals by their sweetness or their beauty, And so the successful ones get to be propagated, fertilized, pampered, sold at lows, planted in our gardens, given more territory, and even have special environments prepared just for their success and daily attention from the gardeners and sometimes even talk or music. We go by the cactus and we go, how are you doing? you going to bloom soon? We're sure are waiting for you to do that. We're looking forward to it. And the human soul seems to need that beauty. And you all know the poem by John Greenleaf Whittier that says, If thou of fortune be bereft, and in thy store there be but left two loaves, sell one, and with the dole buy hyacinths to feed thy soul. So some plants attract attention and get pampered by being beautiful. And other plants attract attention by being good for you, by being medicine or food. And so you learn, if you're a, a bear or a cat um, or a giraffe, to eat certain things when you have a stomach ache. And so you eat those plants, and then they get propagated And they get cultivated because they're good medicine. And right now, the the best and smartest gardeners of our era are spending time, money, and risking a high-risk lifestyle on a plant called cannabis. And (laughs) that plant is being tended so carefully and given everything it needs and asks for and um, have, they have machinery that gives it just the right water and just the right temperature and just the right amount of light. And if it's withering in the least little bit, the armies of gardeners come in and say, how can we help you feel better? And um, what do you need? We're going to give you whatever you need. Now, that's a successful species. <laughs> and if it gets too dangerous for it outside, if people are looking for it or mm, bring paraquat on it or something, then the gardeners bring it inside. Oh, my gosh, this plant. It got too dangerous for it outside, so they bring it inside. And they they uh, combine it with short, shorter plants of its same kind so that it doesn't grow to 12 feet tall like it does in the ditches of its original homeland. But it grows shorter and stouter and fatter and more buds. And um, that plant has is getting its way. And so the life force is powerful, and the flowers teach us about life force and about death if we just watch. Dylan Thomas wrote this, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower drives my green age, that blasts the roots of trees is my destroyer. And I am dumb to tell the crooked rose. My youth is bent by the same wintry fever. A medieval Christian mystic named Hildegard of Bingen wrote, The breath of the air makes the earth fruitful. Thus the air is the soul of the earth, moistening it, greening it. I think of it sometimes as a green fire flowing up through the green grass to their tips and up through the plants and up through the trees and making that green, almost vibrating green, turning toward the sun and cupping the, the moisture. And that green fire is up through every stem, even our own. And I think we grow in cycles like the plants do, our souls grow in cycles like the plants do, and sometimes we're in a resting cycle where we crave the darkness and our roots are growing underground, but our branches above are kind of wintry and bare. Maybe it's when we're grieving or ill or injured. And if we're in that wintry place, we might look at people who are in a more summery place with all their productivity above ground and their fruits and flowers and uh, fun and color. And they look uh, like people in a Pepsi commercial. And we look and we think, "I, I don't know if I'll ever get there. And... I think of people in a spring spirit as being in a time of great change and blossoming. And I I bought a house one time in South Carolina that had flowers, uh, roses already planted along the side of the, of the house. I wouldn't have planted roses myself because they're too much trouble. But um, these roses just bloomed. And all I had to do was uh, cut the dead heads off and avoid the fire ants that lived in their roots. And... Um, they bloomed until November every year, generously, and I watched them with joy, of course. And I found myself wondering, do they, um, do they get scared when they start to bloom? I mean, they're they're in this little bud state, and maybe they're just grooving on that and thinking, "Oh, I'm so smooth, and I my petals are so tight together, and I'm I'm all closed up and private, and I." Um, everything is so potential and then the warm wind blows and the the rain gets warm and the soil gets warm and they, they maybe they go oh my god my petals are loosening <laughs> and maybe they think what's happening everything is getting distant from each other i right? My my parts are 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 making me vulnerable. I've got all this yellow dust. What is this? And um. And maybe they're not as peaceful as they look. Maybe we just can't hear them screaming. <laughs> but you have to be in a certain frame of mind to imagine that about roses. And I apologize for letting you know that I was ever in that frame of mind. <laughs> But I just thought maybe it's anxious, maybe it's anxiety provoking to bloom. And, and maybe there are some roses who are very peaceful about it, and they're all just copacetic and going, oh, well, what would be will be, and I'm surrendering to what is, and all those things you're supposed to do if you're really spiritual <laughs> that I'm terrible at. <laughs> and I think maybe the roses start to you know accept what's happening in each stage with grace because the same green fire that shoots up the stem of a rose and causes it to bloom also causes the petals to eventually bloom so widely that they just fall off and then the rose hip forms and the rose hip gets eaten by the the birds or the uh, people who want vitamin C and um, or they just burst and the seeds inside it go into the ground and make more roses after they've been there for a while in the ground. And so we watch flowers for our whole life and we talk about how our life is blossoming or we talk about how we're in very fruitful time or we talk about spreading our seed or sowing our oats or our words and deeds and offspring feel like this is how it should be. And and we have the experience of resurrection in our lives sometimes when everything feels kind of dead and underground, and then life comes again. And this is the green force, the fire, the life force that Unitarian Universalists sing about and worship. And what better thing to worship and what better use of life is it than to grow to an acceptance of the cycle of birth and death and everything in between, seed time, budding, fruit. Life and death always weave together on Easter Sunday. And when I think about death, I think about a weekend when I was camping with friends and um, everybody was kind of doing a... They were in the cook tent cooking or they were playing guitar by the fire or they were reading and I was in the hammock just looking up at the green leaves of the trees and thinking that this particular green was so powerful in my life. This green that you just you get soaked with light through this color green when you're just lying under this tree. And I thought, that is what I want to be part of. I want to be this color green when I die. That's a good afterlife picture for me. I want to take the minerals and carbon that are in my body and spread them underneath this particular tree and have the rain wash me into the ground and have the roots soak up the nutrients from what I... Am at that point, and then draw me up the xylem and phloem in the trunk, and come out through the leaves, and and be part of that green. I think that would be a really good afterlife, and and I'll be happy. And I might even get reincarnated. You know, if a caterpillar eats that leaf, then am I a caterpillar for a while? And then if a bird eats the caterpillar, I'm a bird for a little while. And then, I'm sorry, but my cat will eat the bird, and um, we hope it just stays outside while it does that, and not bring it inside like it did last time. Um, and so maybe I get to be a cat for a little while, and that is a good afterlife for me, unfurling in the sun, ready for whatever happens next. And sometimes I think that my spirit will be floating in the ocean of love that I call God. And maybe I will see people that I used to know and love. I don't know. But I think I will understand then that even when we were in bodies alive or when I was a leaf and they were a horse, um, there was never any separation between us anyway. That's my belief, and that feels like religion to me, so I celebrate Pretty Yellow Flower Day, not as a metaphor for anything, but as the real life force, the way it happens, and the way it'll happen to you and me, we're just part of everything, holy, 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 And I'm going to end with a poem that my friend Mary Fagan wrote. It's called Beauty First. Listen, I learned something this morning. Fruit comes from flowers. Do you get it? See, results come from joy and beauty first. You don't hammer seeds into the ground and wait for breakfast. The important step is in between. You graciously plant ten seeds or a thousand, and then the seeds so quietly and invisibly in comfort and heat, drowning and dryness, well, the seeds either die or open up. And if they open up, mind you, if in their own time they graciously come up for you, what do they do first? They bloom Will you please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The force that raises up the flower drives my green age, the force that blasts the roots of of trees will soon
1: destroy me, and I am dumb to and I am dumb
0: to tell, and I am dumb to to And I to the crooked roads. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.